Welcome back to our podcast, Mum, Will the Planet Die Before I Do? If you like what you've listened to so far, please don't forget to subscribe on the link below to keep up to date with all the episodes in this series. It was a real honour to chat to our next guest, Cristiana Figueres, who is an international recognised leader on the global climate crisis. Cristiana was the Executive Secretary of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change for more than a decade. And in this episode, Cristiana tells us about the pressures of being seen as a mum for a generation who is seeking answers to global inaction and how being a parent has honed her resolve on the climate emergency and given her work even more significance. This is going to be a difficult conversation, ladies, because um, this is what touches my heart most. And this topic of our responsibility and our relationship to our own children, who I only have two, but they actually represent all future generations for me. And so our responsibility to kids, both the ones who are born and those who yet to come, and our relationship to them is honestly the reason why I have been working on climate change. And honestly, it always brings tears to my eyes and I'm trying to keep my tears back right now because I just think it is so, so fundamentally unjust that we oldies have really perpetrated this. Um, I don't even, I don't, I'm trying to find a politically correct term. Um, this assault this is an assault on the future of uh, of young people, uh, those that are already here and, and those coming. And um, so it's very difficult for me. It really is very difficult. Now, way back in Paris, 2015, I did feel actually like a mom. I still do feel like a mom. In fact, when I, when I travel, and thank God I'm traveling less now, but they always say, what is your profession on those, you know, stupid little pieces of paper? And I always say mother because... That is what defines me. That's the way that I identify myself as first, obviously being the mother to my own two children, but but very much in a mothering role to the planet and to uh, and to human society. I feel like we're failing to protect our kids, my daughter yes. from a climate disaster. You know, we see the next generation demanding action. They're angry. They're frustrated. Climate anxiety among young kids is on the rise. So what do we do as individuals with that? What do we do as parents? Well, um, let, let, let me say first a couple of things that I don't think are helpful as parents. First, lying or sugarcoating. You know, telling our kids that this is nothing to worry about, that they're going to be fine, um, that just doesn't cut it because um, A, completely undermines our credibility um, and they read the news or hear or whatever. Anyway, I think first is tell the truth um, in age-appropriate language and detail. But secondly, I think it's very important to give evidence of progress. You can't tell a child that we are in an extremely difficult situation once they get up to an age where you think they can deal with it emotionally. You can tell them that we have a planetary emergency here. But I also think it's important not to leave them with that sense of anxiety, but say, 
look, we have this emergency and, not but, and here's what we're doing. And give them very concrete evidence of how we are progressing. And then say, we are progressing, we are decarbonizing, and it's not fast enough. Therefore, the task is to close the gap between the emergency that we've just explained and the progress that we have, which is good news, but we're just not doing it fast enough. So doing it fast enough and doing it in every single corner of the planet is the task that we all share. Um, and then thirdly, invite them to, um, to help. Invite them to participate after you've talked about it, after they understand that this is both a planetary emergency, but also it is a personal, personal challenge then um, invite them to take action and, and best of all, take action as a family, right? You know, the irony, though, of listening to you talk, for me, is that from my perspective, it's the kids who are trying to tell that to the adults. Honestly, I, it makes me just want to cry with shame when I think, actually, those voices who are saying those things, it's the kids. Like, it's the kids telling their demanding that of the adults and I just feel like the adults or parents like me are just on this really kind of strange journey of not getting it yeah I mean hopefully you know by now we do get it I mean we, we were brought up in a you know totally irresponsible consumerist society um that didn't think about these things and fortunately those that are uh that are coming up now are born, as I say, with a different chip. Um, but I also think that it is important as an adult and as a parent to not just to take an activity that they may latch onto quite rightly, food waste being one or a thermostat in your home, but actually to put it into the context so that they understand that they are contributing and that there are so many different things that can be done. You know, choose your transport, cycle, walk, um, we don't have to purchase new items. Why can't we go to thrift stores and, and explain to them what consumerism has to do with climate change and what it has to do with, frankly, morality, just morality. Um, start a backyard garden to produce your own herbs, your own foods. Um, it, it's, it is so many things that can be done as a family and to turn the family that for which our, we adults are responsible, but as you say, we are so learning from the kids, Katie. Thank God for that. But to turn our identity of family to a responsible family in everything that we do, right? How we dress, how we heat or cool, how we, uh, what we eat, how, how we do, uh, how, what we do with, um, with food that we don't eat, uh, what, what we grow, et cetera, et cetera, all of that. Herein lies the problem for me about that. Because I think, you know, as an individual, I'm kind of conscious that we're having the conversation where we live in a privileged country and we have access to things that lots of people who are going through, have gone through real life examples of the climate emergency. But, you know, we do all of these things as a family, let's say. But then there is a frustration and you feel inaction because you look at the leaders and you say, why are you not getting it? Why are you not committing 100% with both feet into this conversation? Why are you not acting the way we want you to? 
So as a family, yes, you're doing one thing, but then you look to leaders and you feel frustrated. And, and that is really difficult, I think, to parent in that, in that crazy dynamic. Well, but, but that's where I think we have to come in to explain and to practice the fact that we as individuals, collectively, we represent demand in this, uh, in this economy. And if we demand more and more new things, more and more new things will be produced. If we don't, then we actually reduce the demand and hence the production. I guess my, my best example is this is a global sports uh, or a global team sport. Let me put it that way. It's a team sport. So if whatever your choice of team sport is, uh, those that have 10, 11, 12 different team players, the game is not won by any single one of those players. The game is won when everybody collaborates. Even if one does an outstanding job, outstanding job, it won't mean that the game is won unless everyone does an outstanding job and they collaborate with each other. This is the biggest of all team sports. So each one of us, it's not, we're not going to win this battle if just one person or one family or one country does an outstanding job. That's not going to happen. But if we all do an outstanding job and if we collaborate with each other, we do have a much higher possibility of winning this battle. And, and the other thing that is very important is to realize that there is no guarantee of this win. But that doesn't reduce our responsibility for doing the absolutely outstanding job that we can do and do it all together. That is difficult to understand, but really critical for young people to understand. Because if there ever was a generation that goes beyond the physical boundaries, it's the generations that are coming up. They understand what it is to communicate via their social channels way across city borders, town borders, country borders, even generation borders, age borders, they understand that. So they actually have the tools in their hand to unleash this collaborative, transformative, regenerative acting on this planet way beyond anything that we ever could do. But how do we give hope to kids who, for example, their parents aren't keeping up with them fast enough or kids in Kenya who are kind of experiencing drought right now, kind of how, how do you give hope to those kind of kids who are just demanding action from the adults? Like, what would you say to them? To the kids who have deaf parents who are not listening to them, um, they just have to keep it up. They have to keep it up to educate their parents because uh, we, we are just really, really late in learning this, and it is about the kid's life. So they have to be, and that's where, you know, I, I self-describe myself as a stubborn optimist. That's where they have to be stubborn. They have to keep it up. And, you know, my, my own story on this is my daughters growing up who used to stand in front of my bathroom when I was showering, and they would yell into, Mom, that's enough hot water. And, you know, they did that often enough to the point where I am the fastest shower 
I, I, I mean, I will beat anybody in a shower. And, uh, and I barely use hot water anymore. Why? Because they beat that into me. It wasn't the first or the third or the fourth time. It was like, oh, darn, there they are again. My shower police women outside my door. They made me change my behavior because they were on and on and on and on. Thank God for that, right? If they hadn't been really stubborn about that, I wouldn't have changed my behavior. So, you know, my message to those young people is don't give up on your parents. We can all learn, no matter, you know, how idiotic we seem, we can all learn, especially if you keep the pressure up. A much more difficult message to the parents and the children uh, who are already experiencing horrible, horrible conditions of drought, hunger, uh, migration because of climate change. There is no preaching there. There is no space for preaching there at all. There, what we are called to do is actually to embrace these people in love, in solidarity, in compassion, and do everything that we can to ease their lives. How do you give hope to your own children? Well, these poor girls have been... Do you? I don't know if you do, actually. I'm presuming you... Yeah, yeah. No, these these girls, and I still call them girls despite the fact that they're over 30, um, but to me, they're always my girls. They, They have been eating climate change, you know, three meals a day since, since they were born. Um, and so they are very aware. Uh, they're not just very aware, they have chosen professions that address climate change, each of them in a different way. And I have always been incredibly supportive and, and proud of them doing that. And Honestly, all three of us fall off uh, our ladder often about, are we going to make it in time? And we all pick each other up, you know, when one falls, the other one comes and, and provides some loving support. I don't think anyone who's aware of climate is uh, hopeful and, and in a positive uh, frame of mind all the time because we're just in such an emergency. So the way, I, it's not that I give them hope, it's that we give each other hope um, by supporting each other, by providing each other with examples of things that we're doing or that we have found out other people are doing. And we nourish our souls. We walk in nature. We bathe in nature very frequently. And that, to me, is such solace. I live in Costa Rica. I've left the city, and I live way, way, way out in the boonies, in the middle of nature. I spend as much time out there as possible. Nature bathing is so important. So important because, A, it nourishes our soul, but also it just reminds us that we are so dependent on nature, right? I mean, let's just go back to the basics. Every drop of water that we drink comes from nature. Without water, we do not survive. Every little bit of oxygen that we breathe comes from nature. Without oxygen, we do not survive. Every morsel of food that we eat comes from nature. Without food, we don't survive. 
So let's just remember that we are 100% dependent and interrelated with nature. And that despite the fact that she is there for us and, uh, and being very mindful of our survival, what we are doing to nature is so terrible. But let's remember that we can also go out there and very mindfully be regenerative of nature. It's, it's a having that conversation or teaching them those certain skills that enables them to be resilient. So educating them, like you said, is, is one thing. But actually, if we are facing the catastrophe that we think is coming our way, this is going to be about a point of survival for the next generation. So how, how, are, how do you parent that? I, as I said before, Babita, for me, it is a combination of making them aware of, their, of the urgency that we all face, but also of their own agency. Both of those have to go hand in hand. You can't just teach them because they will learn anyway about the urgency. You also have to nourish their agency. And, and that is not just because of climate change. That is a very, very important life skill to be applied to everything in life. To know that I actually have the capacity to affect my experience de depending on how I think, what I think, what I do, how I do it. You can't just, you know, be on the receiving side or let's put it this way, on the vic in the victim role. We have to understand that we, despite the emergency of climate, we are not, especially those who are privileged, we cannot give in to a black hole and feel ourselves as only victims of climate change. We should just say so to those of you listening, uh, forgive us with the drilling sound. <laughs> I apologize about that. Completely out of my control at this point. Sorry. But, but, but let's put it this way. We have to drill into our souls, right? We have to drill into our souls to find the strength that is needed for these days. This, this is not for the lighthearted, right? This is, this is not for, for those who, you know, little butterflies from one flower to the other. Love as I do the butterflies. This is about drilling into our soul and finding both the responsibility that we have, but also the opportunity that we have. And seeing both of those as going hand in hand. Unfortunately, at least in my generation, we were brought up thinking that those two things, you know, basically wipe each other out. They're mutually exclusive. We, we think so much in binary form. It's either this or that. It's not. We both have an urgency and we have to cultivate our agency. We both have this responsibility and we can turn it into a very important opportunity. So we have to start thinking in the end also mentality as opposed to two realities that are mutually exclusive to each other. Why are so many parents kind of stuck with understanding the gravity of this colossal problem? What is it in the kind of parental psyche that's kind of not allowing us almost to, to see the thing that's coming towards our children? Well, I, I think independently of parents, right, just humans, uh, whether you're a parent or not, I think 
all of us as humans, we have this conscious or unconscious, mostly unconscious attachment to the status quo, attachment to legacy. We've always done it this way. Therefore, it's always going to be done this way. Um, you know, and uh, we have an attachment to comfort, a huge attachment to comfort. Well, I'm comfort, comfortable now taking my, driving my kids to football on Saturdays, and therefore I'm just going to keep on doing it, and I'm not going to bother my pretty little brain with something else. And then on top of that, you have a fear of the unknown, of, oh my gosh, does that mean now that I let a new reality into my soul, into my awareness, does that mean that I have to do things differently? That's a big question mark. And for most humans, that's really difficult because now, you know, not only do I have to be aware of a reality that I wasn't aware of or I had chosen to deny, but now that reality as it comes into my consciousness, that reality demands that I do something differently to what I've been doing. It's not just information. It's not just I take the information in. No. It actually, once that information is in you, now you have to do something about it. So you can understand that there's a double bind there, right? There's the attachment to the past, to the status quo, the legacy, the, you know, I've always done it this way. Plus there is a fear of the unknown and a fear of now I have to do something differently. So that's why there is such a resistance, such a resistance to move into a different space. Because that different space holds new information. That information is very threatening. And that information demands action on my part. You sound pretty enthusiastic, actually, in our chat today, which, um, which is nice to hear. Um, well, let's remember that I choose to be optimistic. It's a daily choice. <laughs> and it's not always easy to make that choice. Um, but I think it is our responsibility to, uh, to be very informed of the science, to be reinformed, very informed of all of the different barriers that we have and, and at the same time to delve deeply into our capacity to affect change. Um, because otherwise we just feed the monsters of doom and, uh, and that's not something, you know, that I want to take any responsibility for we started this conversation where you said i'm a mum foremost um with all the work that you've done in this space on the climate emergency um what do you, how do you i mean how, how do you want to be remembered sounds like <laughs> impending doom doesn't it but i'm what would you want to leave behind as your legacy really for the younger generation I think two things, Babita. I, I really, really want to see our emissions path corrected. And I won't be alive uh, by the end of the century when we know what the uh, temperature rise is. But, um, but the pathway has to be corrected now, before 2030. So I, you know, that, that is my focus correct the pathway of emissions. Why is it making you so upset when you say that? Because the consequences of not doing that are so dire. They're just so dire for millions of people, especially children. 
And I already warned you at the beginning of this that, you know, whenever I think about children in the context of climate change, my tear, my, you know, my tears just like well up because um, these, you know, gorgeous smiling faces have done absolutely nothing to cause this. And uh, so it's just that, um, that, yeah, my, my passion against injustice uh, just takes the better of me. But, you know, I think we have to feel that. I, I called Babs in, during the second week of COP. And do you remember, Babs, I was just in floods and floods and floods and floods of tears. I couldn't stop. And I think it's almost so crucial for us as parents. I mean, obviously, you get it more than most people alive. But it's so important for us as parents to really, like, absorb the magnitude before we can like understand what we want to do and it's that that I'm so pleased that you're talking about because I feel like that really needs to kind of land in us before we can like propel forward and try to start reimagining our lives yeah yeah it is the first step it is the first step and and then this once we have done that and and it's a first step every day right it's not like you take the step and then done no the, we have to get into that space <laughs> Uh, on a continuous basis. And, and then the second step after that, um, which gets back to your question of how would I like to be remembered, um, I, I would love to be remembered as having put my loving arms around humanity. I think you've done that. And then some. And I also feel that that's what kind of the global discourse needed when you were at the helm. Actually, those those emotions and that maternal kind of like, all right, everyone's squabbling in this conference. Let's, you know, bring it back. I think that's absolutely what you have done. And I think, honestly, it's a kind of mother's heart to, to wrap your arms around all of the people arguing, all of the people denying, all of the people throwing spanners in the works everywhere and just bringing your arms around them in, in love. Because you're right, ultimately, it's optimism, isn't it? Ultimately, it's love. Yes, well, ultimately it's love, and um, and you know many people sort of shy away from that word. I I I don't, and I'm glad that you don't, because ultimately, without love, we're not going to do this. We're just not going to do this. That is where our agency stems from. That is where our daily nourishment and our re-energizing um, fountain is all about love, and without that. It ain't going to happen. Christiana Figuera is chatting to us and we have to say that before we interviewed Christiana, Babs and I were just pinching ourselves. She really is extraordinary. In the next episode, we speak to the titan that is Rocky Dawuni, musician, UN Goodwill ambassador and climate activist Rocky shares with us the lessons he's learned from his village in Ghana about how to face the climate emergency as a parent. Mum, Will the Planet Die Before I Do? is a Corner Shop media production presented and produced by Babita Sharma, Katie Glasborough and edited by Nisha Patel.